0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? Today, Michelle and I are delighted to be joined by Andy Last, who is co-founder of Mullen Low Salt. Andy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks very much, guys. Great to be here.
0: So let's kick things off, Andy, with a bit of an introduction to yourself and the work you guys do.
1: Yeah, so uh, we founded uh, Salt as a as an independent consultancy, a purpose and sustainability consultancy, twenty uh, odd years ago now. Um, so before it was a thing um, for most people, and uh, we've worked with big brands and organisations over the years. Probably Unilever was was our has been our sort of longest term client, and they were obviously uh, have been one of the forerunners in this space. And we became part of Mullen Lowe in twenty seventeen. Um, really so we could have more impact Uh, and certainly to be part of a marketing services organization where I believe um, a great deal of change can be affected. So that's why we did that. I've written a couple of books uh, on the subject, Um, Business on a Mission, How to Build a Sustainable Brand, um, which hopefully is a a useful guide to marketeers on on how they can uh, do just that.
0: Fantastic. And you know, you mentioned there that, you know, this is looking at the value that marketing can bring. I mean, that's our view from Mark Can Marketing Save the Planet. Mm. Gemma and I are marketers. Um, and when we were researching and writing sustainable marketing, how to drive profits with purpose, because we were concerned uh, you know, about this was new to us. You know, this wasn't something that we'd been a part of for, for 20 years, Andy. You yeah. know, this was this was us kind of getting our eyes Opened to some of the, the 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 kind of very real and urgent challenges, and of course the role that marketing plays from a kind of negative perspective in that driving consumption, yeah. um, kind of unconscious consumption, really in in many ways, and and as marketers not really thinking about those wider consequences. So, in your experience, how has that played out with? working within organisations. Have you actually worked with, is it the marketing teams that you've focused on?
1: I mean, we've worked with all sorts of departments, probably more marketing than than anything else. And certainly over the last five years, very much with marketing, but worked a lot with corporate affairs uh, departments with the, uh, the chief exec's office where they're dealing with the reputation of the business. Now, clearly corporate reputation and risk is one driver for organisations to engage in Environmental and social issues, uh, the marketing opportunities that presents, and then the risks on the sales function. For example, if you're dealing with consumer goods and you've got retailers um, telling you we're only going to list your product if um, you are in line with our own climate pledges. So the sales function is is a key player there. Um, certainly with sustainability departments as they have come into organisations and hopefully will go. But you know they are there for a transition period. I would. Hope. Um, so we've worked with all sorts of departments. We we came in in the first place through through marketing, really. well but maybe it was reputation. So I we were. I I'd grown up in um, near Liverpool, uh, very near Port Sunlight, which is where William Lever founded his business, and he created a business that sort of famously, like like a number of those Victorian industrialists, had nice accommodation for his workers um like the sort of model villages like they were at Bourneville with Cadbury and those sort of things so there was a kind of social good element to it uh, lever created brands like lifeboy soap which as the name implies was about saving lives it was making soap affordable um to uh, the masses and people who were who were dying in, in in slum dwelling in in liverpool the second city of the empire mass migration there yeah. Um, people living in in, in slum dwellings not able to look after themselves. He made soap affordable for them to s- literally to save lives. So I grew up with that notion that business could be a force for good socially, and then came back in into Lifeboy in the early two thousands and to see the programs LifeBoy was running around the world. But it may be forgotten that there was a link into business. They were almost being run as philanthropic exercises, mm-hmm. um, and. So we, we, I went sort of slightly through the corporate reputation door. There was a CSR department saying, is this a nice story we can tell? And actually, once you got in there, you realized it was brilliant. But if it stayed in CSR, if it stayed in the kind of corporate comms, it, it wasn't getting into the heart of the business. And an organization like Unilever Marketing is the heart of the business. And so what we did is took that concept of a soap bar saving lives and then getting involved in partnerships with UNICEF and USAID and the World Bank and whatever, yeah. and put that into the heart of the brand key. And that's where the power came. So I think it doesn't always come in through, hasn't always come in through the marketing door, but marketing is where I, I think the greatest change can be driven, certainly.
0: And and you talk about, you know, CSR and you talk about social impact and doing social good. And I think a lot of people, when they think sustainability, they automatically think planet and and environment, don't they? And and not the fact that sustainability is about actually delivering well-being for all. And when you look at the Sustainable Development Goals, you can see the absolute breadth of what we need to deliver on uh, as we move forward and and with that purpose is is a word that a lot of organisations are are now looking back to aren't they of of what well why are we here and why do we exist now that sustainability yeah. is rapidly rising up the agenda uh, the for everyone so you know you guys call yourselves or you have have it you know yeah. on on your website end to end purpose specialists so you know, how does an organisation embed sustainability at its heart? Because Michelle and I are constantly talking about the fact you can't, you can't bolt this on as an afterthought. You can't take your current strategy and just, just add a couple of slides. It doesn't work like that, does it? So how people (laughs) try They do. They do do all the time, unfortunately. Uh, But How do you actually embed sustainability at the heart of your organisation?
1: Yeah. So I think there's, there's, there's a couple of questions in, in there. Um, one is, from a strategic point, the, the word purpose is is horribly misused and, mm-hmm. and diluted and strengthened and means different things. But for me, it, it, there's two things in there. One is purpose strategically. Why does this organization exist? And frankly, any organization that's been around for 100 years has probably got a really good purpose. Mm-hmm. They don't always recognize it. They don't always live to it. They drift away from it. And new marketers come in and want to do different things. But that strategic understanding of what our reason to exist as an organization or a brand is. What is the the role we fulfill and who are our audiences that we do that for? I think that's a sort of strategic view of purpose. And then there's certainly what, when we started off, we were very clear that purpose was about delivering a social value over and above the core product. And... That I, I think that social value is where there is a huge opportunity for brands uh, and businesses to be a force for good. Um, but it's also that social externality that that you're talking about, uh, Gemma, with the um, the sort of broad definition of sustainability, which is the the those social and environmental externalities. Yeah. Which I don't think a business can afford to forget now. I think you could have got away with not addressing them ten years ago. You certainly can't now so that all those social factors and environmental factors that relate to your business businesses now have to address them and report on them Uh, and what we try and do is help help them see the the positive opportunities in doing that Uh, and again I think the marketing department is is central to that
0: fantastic and 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 it's you know that's that's when we had our eyes opened um because I mean and also marketing and And business really are so inextricably linked, aren't they? I think this is, as as you said, you know, Unilever is a marketing focused organization. And I think most businesses are. I mean, you need customers, you need products, you need, you, you know, you need, you need, we all need to have marketing as a focus but for some organizations marketing is almost bolted on as well and it isn't really embedded strategically yeah. across the value chain and that's that's a real challenge i mean we hear it yesterday i was a you know a a conference and uh, speaking with a lot of architects and, and people in in that space, and it was quite interesting when I was talking about sustainable marketing. You're like, Ooh, "Marketing and sustainability, isn't that a juxtaposition?" Mm. And and it's kind of like, "Yes, I can see where you're coming from, but you know, really, this is about sustainable business and embedding sustainability in the heart of organisations, and then and then talking about it."
1: Yeah, I think marketing has to be about understanding your market. Yeah. First of all, and if a business doesn't understand its market, it's in trouble. Um, and the market is changing rapidly yeah. at the moment for all businesses. And it's, I think, uh, it, it's um, it's a misunderstanding to think all consumers are suddenly demanding, you know, products that that keep us within one point five degree targets. Um, they're not, um, but there are retailers who are there are investors who are there are regulations and reporting requirements that are they are all part of the market in which you're operating so the marketing department needs to understand what's happening there and the change that is happening and change happens gradually then suddenly yeah so these sort of gradual trends it's not like you know the civil rights movement has been going for a very long time you know the, the the legislation really Embedding civil rights in the states, for example, is, is late '60s. Black Lives Matter you know, sort of came hugely to the, fo- uh, to the fore with, with, with George Floyd and, and during yeah. the COVID crisis, which I don't think was a coincidence. But it wasn't like that hadn't been around as an issue for a very long time, but it had, suddenly it changes. and I think you know the, the, the protests we're seeing around Qatar uh, and civil rights there and LGBTQ plus rights yeah. there. those rights have been around for a long time I think. The moment has changed on those. I think that the, the gender issues that came to the fore with Me Too, that's changed now. And we're seeing the same change happening on environmental issues. So the fact that um, I think what's happening on fossil fuels within the marketing services yeah. industry at the moment, the fact that they're almost becoming toxic for ad agencies to talk to. And Shell, you know, go back five years. Shell would be the celebrated client of any. Agency, they'd be talking about them in their credit. Yeah. That that's changed. So the marketers have to understand the market in which their products are operating, which is changing, and then to understand how to talk about them and how to talk about it is becoming increasingly complex because of green accusations of green greenwashing and and legislation coming in there, and then that sort of marketers have have this this difficult job now of, of finding a treading a path between accusations of greenwashing and being paralyzed into not saying anything
0: absolutely yeah. and, that, and it's that's the
1: marketing awesome. department that has to come up with those find those answers yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: and and also it's you know that marketers having to understand the landscape that they operate in absolutely critical because that's you know key stakeholders are in that landscape and those those elements are changing innovations are changing sentiment is changing as we said But also marketers, it's incumbent on marketers to be taking that intelligence back into the business, isn't it, for strategic intent as well. You know, when we think about market research and understanding those markets, it's about bringing that back in to inform the business because the business, who else is informing that business? You know, it isn't just about being enforced to make changes i'm sure there are some industries where there are regulatory Mm. enforcements and we know about those that are forcing organizations to do that but actually marketers can see the opportunity this isn't seen as oh we need to do this it's like wow look at what we could be doing um, and look at how this could be shifting you know it's quite an exciting time to be a marketer if you think about the significance
1: with that that Without question, so just a couple of examples on that. Um, so as I said, we we've worked with Life Boy soap for for a very long time, and one of the great things they they were they obviously started off trying to save lives through promoting hand washing. They sort of drifted away from that sometimes over the years and got into sports, sponsored all sorts of you know yeah. different areas. They invented the word "bo" by the way, which was one of their ad campaigns um, in the the forties, I think it was, and. Once we started saying, look, these amazing partnerships and projects you're doing aren't CSR on the side, they need to go into the heart of the brand. And and there were some brilliant leaders inside Unilever who pulled it right into the heart of the brand key. Once that happened, one of the the best things I saw in the examples of exactly what you're talking about is is on the innovation pipeline.
0: Yeah.
1: So once this central thought that Lifebuoy exists um, to help um, families stay healthy... And in particular, the ad guys came out with a brilliant line about help a child reach five. It was all about helping kids reach their fifth birthday. Once that was put at the heart of the brand, then the innovation fell in line with that. So I remember there was a, uh, there was something coming through, and a really interesting product coming through the pipeline, which was about um, tackling a, a liquid lipo that would tackle acne in teenagers. Great, but not to do with that heart of the brand. And what that then switched, the innovation then Switched to a uh, a liquid hand wash that turned green when kids wash their hands for more than thirty seconds, and there was Hulk. It was a deal with Marvel, and Hulk was on the thing, and that gets kids washing their hands for more than thirty seconds. So that's that innovation was came from that that core purpose. And then the other innovation, if I look, you know, we do a lot of work with Kimberly Clark, a great company, great brands. They're in paper. Now, that is potentially quite a problematic area. And the research that is being driven by sustainability to identify new fibres, new ways yeah. of, of making paper is brilliant. Who wouldn't want to be involved exactly. in that? Now, and then it's that necessity, but, uh, you know, the, the old cliche, necessity is the mother of invention. But there's there's amazing innovation being driven um, by marketing, understanding what's what's happening and, then, yeah. and pushing that into R&D.
0: Yeah, and and I guess you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, change, change happens very quickly, uh, once it gets going and, you know, we're seeing that more and more people are turning away from things like the fast fashion industry, or at least we hope it seems to be the tide is turning there, although not fast enough, but, yeah. you know, we're talking to you on the 25th of November, it's Black, Black Friday. And, you know, the predominant message is, is bye, 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 bye. And, uh, In 2020 alone, Black Friday uh, emitted 429,000 tonnes of carbon, uh, which means nothing to to the majority of people, but it's the equivalent of 435 return flights from London to New York. So, you know, we still have, I, I mean, I can't believe it's still around in 2022, but we still have these mass scalable, uh, you know, sort of events in the year. The fact that Black Friday still is a thing. um, Do you think think organisations are doing enough? Because it's about scale and pace now, isn't it?
1: I think it's interesting. So I think we are seeing things change. Now, the whole world ain't going to change overnight. And we can't demonise business either because the great steps forward in that humanity has made over the last couple of hundred years a lot of those in terms of living standards life expectancy, all those things a lot of that has been driven by business business in itself is yeah. not a bad thing and we need to the the, the, the what business does in, in terms of harnessing people with a common goal to effect end results is is second to none now all the externalities coming in need, now need to ensure that it's in line with what human existence requires. Um, and that will happen. But I and I think we're beginning to see things. I'll, I'll be um at least the figures about what Black Friday causes in emissions are being talked about now. There is currency about that. It isn't yep. stopping Black Friday overnight, but it's being talked about. I think flight shame is a really interesting phenomenon post-COVID when we all stop flying. I think that that COVID moment we'll look back on as as the trigger for so much change and the fact that you know, none of it, you know we were all flying around all the time and then suddenly we weren't and that does make you think well do we actually need to and people beginning to be a bit wary about posting images of weekend breaks on their instagram because you know they're a bit embarrassed that flight shame sort of hashtag flight shame those sort of things so i think those things are coming through they won't it won't be overnight that 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 things like black friday stop but i think there is a growing understanding of the lack, uh, the 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 danger of consumption at all costs. I think what's really interesting as well, post cop and certainly in the UK, this sort of beginning to question whether growth is what we, what societies want. Yeah. And I think that that will come through. And I think marketers, I, I would like to see marketing focusing on business performance, and and that might be still go okay for profit and then different margins, and, and maybe sell less but at a higher rate and a higher rate that maybe goes down the supply chain so it's not based on on cheap slave child labor at the bottom of the chain all those sorts of things so yeah i'm not massively celebrating black friday today though
0: yeah, and you talk about flight shame. I mean, it's become a bit of a thing, as you say, but it's it's about all modes of transport, isn't it? And we've I've got into many a debate about the fact that you can fly somewhere still, but you've got to think about all your other modes of transport. You know, how often do you drive versus walking yep. and stuff? It's all about a balanced view, isn't it? Sustainability. We need to make more informed choices and we just need to have a greater understanding of what we do and what our organisations do, and and how much impact that has yeah. on the environment. So oh, you know, yeah. I'm all for I a balanced view. All for a balanced view. Well, I think if um, you if
1: you if you live with young people, either you know you they're coming at it all from school. If if you're you know in a marketing agency where you're looking to hire bright young creative talent, they're yeah. coming with Absolutely. questions. So I think it's 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 coming.
0: Yeah. So who in your view is is doing well and and why?
1: Um I think the ones who were ahead of this were driven by consumer pressure. So I think Unilever um I mean people always talk about Unilever. I'm, I'm very fond of them as a business. And I think two things drove them to be a first mover. Um, or or three things perhaps. One is it was set up to do that. When they you look back in the history books, that's what the 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 lever bit, the soaps business in the UK and the the uni, the the, the margarine business in in the Netherlands were both set up to fulfil a social need, either around hygiene or around nutrition. So it was in there from the beginning. I think they were operating in commodity type categories, you know, around margarine and laundry powder and those sort of things, where. The days of, you know, innovation leading everything were beginning to be over, and you couldn't get a laundry that washed anything any more white, and couldn't get any whiter. So you did yeah. need to find other ways of building the brand, and this notion of um, a social purpose to bring differentiation to a brand, I think, was was seen in a in a sort of low interest category as a really big opportunity for them. And the third thing was if you're in FMCG, you were at great risk of your consumer can easily go and buy from someone else next week. It's not like a car that's being bought every five or six yeah. years, which I think is one of the things that saved Volkswagen after the, the thing. It wasn't like, it, like with the consumer goods where you're having to win consumer trust every week. And these issues coming through around animal testing or um, a depiction of people in advertising or plastic packaging or, or any of these things, um, the consumer good, fast moving consumer goods had to be ahead of the game because they were the ones at risk of, of sort of non selection the following week. So I think they, they Unilever have always been good. The, the one example I always come back to is Nike in terms of um, a, a social issue and how they have been consistent at it, but also knitted it into the business model. So go back right early days of Nike, certainly early 70s. They started championing something called Article Nine in the states, which was about the equal provision of um, uh, sports facilities and schools for girls and boys. Yeah. So that at seventy-two, I think they they started on that, and they have they were very clear on what the business benefit of doing that was. At the time, Nike sold predominantly to men. There was sort of fifty percent sort of market. Uh, uh, New market for them to go after, so tied into the business to encourage uh, women uh, to to get into sport to buy their products, and they've taken that that thought of gender equality and pushing and taken equality into other areas as well, and been a real sort of campaigning brand consistently over what's that fifty years now on a, on, on yeah. that issue and the broader issues as society evolves. So I think what the, what they do is great, and at the same time, having to be very clear on. Um, making sure the way they source their materials and all, and all that side of things, because they, as a you know, we we buy trainers and then sportswear relatively frequently. They're a, a great danger of new young audiences coming in and choosing someone else if they don't if they believe that wearing that brand will lead them to be accused by their friends uh, yeah. or on social media of not being environmentally secure.
0: Absolutely, and they, there was some pushback, wasn't there, some a while ago with Nike with regards to. I think they showed uh, young children stitching up footballs. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I
1: mean, Sorry, no, but Nike had to sort out its supply chain. Yeah. It? Like, not, I don't think Nike was worse than anyone else. They had, to, they were vulnerable to it, and they're yeah. they're a high profile brand, and therefore exactly. they will they are at risk. And the internet has driven the transparency of the internet has driven so much of this because suddenly someone is able to film in a sweatshop on a phone exactly. and go go around the world, and and Nike is at danger of that in the way that. A lot of Unilever's environmental work was driven by Greenpeace attacking Dove. Yeah. Well, Dove was particularly yeah. bad, but it the, the was a famous brand and the accusations of hypocrisy were there. The fact that, you know, the, 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 the backlash we saw about Coke sponsoring COP27. I don't think Coke were the main sponsor of COP27. They were doing some sort of side meeting, but of course it's Coke and that's the brand. And therefore, and, and all the campaigners are, are, are understand the power of marketing too. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And what you talk about there, you know, when you talked about those three key drivers in, in Unilever, there's also a, a leadership piece there is there, around culture as well. Because, I mean, I've read Net Positive by Paul Polman. I mean, it's it's a brilliant story. It's a brilliant book. It's a great narrative of the challenges and the practicalities. And and that culture piece around behaviour change, I mean, that was driven through, I mean, all 170,000 employees at Unilever, that they understood what this strategy was. They understood where the business was. And there was also this level of accountability that they had to be aligned with you know three things this three plus one plan that he famously talks about and you know that I've talked to people at Unilever and say was that a real thing and yes it was a real thing you know that they had to align their personal or their work with with this strategy and then one personal thing so the cultural shifts of this you know we talk about marketing being a great catalyst for understanding that landscape driving that that kind of intelligence uh, back into the business for st- strategic intent but also to drive this more holistically as a brand from a brand and organizational wider perspective you've got to get the culture you've got to get the culture shift in place haven't you
1: uh, you have and you you cannot delegate that to the people team alone and that's no. that's not just on the the hr team to sort out the culture that comes from the top as you say in, in the um gen and and, and finally if you see this in lots of organizations actually the person who has got to the top of the greasy pole is there isn't then thinking about the next job and is beginning to think about legacy they've often got children at a certain age who are beginning to you know say well you know what are you doing yeah and and certainly uh Paul was at mm-hmm. that Stage at Unilever, and and his book with Andrew is, is very good. We had Andrew speaking at a conference, Andrew Winston, yeah. a conference a few weeks ago, and he absolutely talked to the leadership piece. And leadership is vital to that. Then everyone in the organisation needs to see the leader saying, "This is the direction we're going in," and going public in it, not just saying it in internal memos, but sort of going on the record externally. Yeah, uh, and and that's critical to that. What was interesting at Unilever is you had this sort of very clear message at the top of the business. You had everyone, all the young people coming into Unilever were joining because of all this. So you had great enthusiasm at the bottom. And then you had the the sort of middle of the company and that middle management and the people with their three plus one targets. And unless you align that, nothing changes. You know, people know, know the right thing to put on their LinkedIn post or whatever. But unless this is, I think, when I was sort of thinking about talking to you today, this structural piece is what needs to happen it can't yeah. just be about marketing or hr initiatives or any of those things it has to be structured and it has to be around incentives yeah. and it has to be yeah. around saying these are your targets and and by incentive it's not just sort of you'll get a bonus if you do this but say no this is this is your job this, this is, is what the is road. expected.
0: yeah this is this yeah. is and, it. It,
1: and if you're in marketing and don't understand those externalities around um supply chain and around climate change and and social justice, then you're not doing your job. No.
0: Get educated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely because how can you know we were talking to when we interviewed Seth Godin recently, mm. you know, he was he was talking about the fact that uh, you know, marketing's role is absolutely to to be those drivers for change uh within organizations as well as, you know, externally and I think sometimes marketing almost forgets that it, it we are the communication specialist, you know, we know how to tell a story, we know how to communicate things and you know, marketing's role is absolutely in driving that culture change alongside absolutely. HR um, and taking it forward. So we've got a really important role. The other thing that Michelle and I constantly Discuss and get asked. Uh, and again, it sounds a bit like you know we were talking about a lot about Unilever, but they were hit the same challenge by their their largest stakeholder shareholder, yeah. weren't they? Which is
1: he wasn't um, he wasn't their he wasn't their largest. He was wasn't he? no, he was certainly their noisiest.
0: I was going to say noisiest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, you know that shift from yeah. pure profit to to balancing people, planet, and profit, which we, we don't have a choice in. We have to do this. Yeah, is is really difficult for so many to get. Their heads around and and it's a conversation as i said we have over and over again because when you look at it the opportunities are huge if we take this forward aren't they not just you know for business but for for society and for the planet and yeah. and with that there there is there is also you know commercial opportunities that if we do this right uh, businesses can thrive so you know what sort of conversations are you having around that and what are your views on on i'm sure you get asked all the time well if well, will we not take a hit on profit here? Well, there's yeah.
1: cost savings, but have, which is one. Well, f- for sure. So the the investment community and and the um, uh, for the the second edition of my book, I interviewed um, BlackRock for that, and that they are they might well be the biggest investor. In Newly, they're certainly the biggest investor in lots of uh, you the know, biggest hedge on. fund
0: management. But yeah,
1: and you know, se- yeah. well, they've got seven trillion dollars. Yeah. And trillion, you sort of say the word trillion and yeah. then you actually think what trillion means. It's how many like,
0: notes is that? Yeah, yeah.
1: It mind boggling. <laughs> They're sitting on those assets and they've been very vocal mm. about the, the need for business to how to address its environmental issues and, and deliver on social purpose. Uh, and the ESG requirements coming through legislation and from investors is, is happening. And it's not happening because all these investors are suddenly, you know, they've suddenly found God and, you know. And, no, and, It's a risk. It's the massive risk. Yeah. And you, they cannot afford to leave their money in companies that aren't alive to this. Now, at the same time, purpose isn't about thinking, oh, yippee we can just say we're doing nice things for the planet and therefore we don't have to hit profits. It's, no, the job is to understand the two and then to deliver the two, to deliver profits in the context of this external environment. One of the, the things I don't know the answer to, and I think this this is becoming... This is a big question for me, and I'm not educated enough on it, which is that the vast majority of investment money in, in most of the, the, the companies we, we end up working with is, is held by pension funds, yeah. um, which is patient capital. Patient, uh, pension funds aren't looking for quick quarterly yeah. gains. They're looking no. for long-term stable yeah. gains over a period of time. Now, So they're not driving the quarterly pressure.
0: So who is the-
1: well, it's it's the intermediaries. It's the way capital is allocated. Now, I completely believe, you know, that there should be free markets for capital and therefore the money goes to the, who's the most innovative, which is in the right sector. And, and that allocation, free allocation of capital is is critical to business and, and the force for good business can do in the world. How it is allocated and the sort of day traders and the people sort of in the middle of the chain who are, who are, you know, betting on sterling going down, that feels deeply problematic and, and causing um causing issues. But but businesses have to and one of the things I think marketers would do better to talk about improving business performance rather yeah. than the word growth. Because I yeah, think absolutely. I think you can drive business performance and deliver for your shareholders and deliver results and and you do need the profit and purpose have to be balanced. And we have to remember it's that way round as well. It's not just saying you have to do good purpose stuff. You do need to deliver the profit as well.
0: But that can be done in many ways, can't it? As you said, you know, this performance aspect is around, often around efficiencies, around innovations, around circularity, around, you know, there are many other areas that marketers, once educated and aware, can be aware of and bring, you know, why are we Putting out this waste. Why aren't we reusing this? Why aren't we innovating yeah. in these areas? Yeah. And I think those are interesting. It sets a new set of questions for marketers to be bringing into it the does. business and, and challenging.
1: So, without question, without question, and I think things like the, the the shift to renewables is being driven by accelerated by market forces. Yes, I mean market yeah. forces are, are a, can be an amazing yeah. change agent.
0: They can. Patience. Now we've we've talked Patagonia. No, we haven't talked Patagonia no. yet. So <laughs> when it comes to purpose, I mean, we talked about Unilever, and you, you're absolutely right. They always come up, and they are a great, you know, example. And uh, and I absolutely love uh, Paul and uh, Andrew's book, uh, which is which is great. Mm. And Patagonia, when it comes mm. to purpose, you know, started very much with purpose, and now have kind of changed. There was this enormous huge discussion lots of press about the way that they have really focused their attention on not just you know taking the the kind of the road they've really taken a road less traveled haven't they around how they've restructured the whole business so that it is going to be sustainable but mm. really continuing to be a force for good even when the the founder is out of the business
1: so I and I hope so, and. What I don't know is how different it is. As you say, there was a lot of press around. Yeah. It, and I'm, I think there's... So, rowing back, one of the things that, when I was writing my books, was, became very clear is that this tradition in kind of Northern Europe, in, in, in Britain and Scandinavia and, and, and Germany and, and the Netherlands and stuff, of business and society kind of having a link, and it was all right for business to engage in social issues, is unbelievably different to the culture in the States. Mm. Yeah. And in the States, it is. that was a, a country founded on um, business mm-hmm. and, and doing business and the freedom to do business and also the, the, the freedom for them to practice the religion, they what they wanted to practice, the, the sort of Puritans and the Pilgrim Fathers going over there. And they built this country on... Um, you know, highly entrepreneurial and going into the Wild West, sort of developing these things, working really hard six days a week. And then on the seventh day, you would go to church and praise your God because that's one of the reasons you went there for that religious freedom. And you would give a tenth of your money and you would donate. And that culture, you work really hard and then you donate afterwards, um, is is so strong still in the States, which is different from putting purpose and sustainability at the heart of a business and yeah. making the act of doing business itself healthier. And I think what, what we see in the States is still this culture of, well, you do business however you want to do it, make an enormous profit, and then you do good afterwards. And what, you know, the sort of, what Bezos is talking about and what Gates did with the Gates Foundation, what Zuckerberg did with his, uh, is doing, talking about doing with his money. So I think there's always been that sort of philanthropy and altruism in the States that you have to give back money afterwards. And I think we're beginning to see changes in that. And the social license to operate of some of these big tech companies there is is being questioned, but it's a very different culture. And and for a bit of Patagonia felt like it was almost part of that, but it was a step in the right direction of being ingrained into the business rather than just giving money way afterwards
0: Yeah, Patagonia never really they never called themselves a sustainable organisation did they no. they were very careful they called themselves a responsible organisation yeah. and he's fabulous
1: and, and, and Eve, Eve was, has been uh, is is incredible and I think the other thing is, is I used to irritate my eldest son by saying the only reason he's you know he would if he posts a picture of him with a Patagonia jacket it's because it's a sort of symbol to you know other people about what yeah, you know, which it probably wasn't, and he certainly didn't want to hear that from his dad. But I yeah. think that that making Patagonia really attractive, mm. that that was at the heart of it. It wasn't Patagonia. Young people weren't choosing Patagonia because it was good, uh, you know, it was doing good. They were choosing it because it, it it was a symbol of you know I'm I'm sort of modern and I'm cool or whatever. Yeah, and, or whatever and, and irritating word I used to my son. Yeah.
0: And Gen Z, you know, Gen Z are what, 34% of the global population. They're the biggest, if we need to stop calling people consumers, but they're the biggest consumer group in history, aren't they, coming through? And they ultimately, they they go to organizations which which align to their values. I think there's still a bit of a... An action intention intention action gap is still probably a little bit too high, but
1: but they know, don't want to be associated with with exactly. toxic things. No, that, status that, that, and difference.
0: affiliation. He comes back yeah, to that status that. and affiliation.
1: And this it? is a generation, and you know, some would say, well, they're not going to be young people forever. They're like young people have always yeah. been, sort of much more progressive. And then when the realities of mortgages and families and jobs and stuff kick in, they'll change. But I think what's different with that generation is they grew up with climate change as a reality, being taught it in school, understanding it. And with the sort of mass transparency of the internet,
0: yeah.
1: of of bad things being shared imme- you know, toxic behaviours by businesses being shared immediately.
0: Yeah. Oh, cancel uh, culture is very real. As uh, well, I think thing,
1: the, yeah. the sort of the reality of council culture, and you know, there's sort of massive issues around council culture. But the, the but the f- businesses are at risk of being cancelled today in a yeah. way they weren't. You yeah. Know. yeah.
0: Yeah and I think you know the biggest the biggest driver we have today is the fact that the planet we live on is is now you know uh, is is pushing back on us, and actually, we have taken way too much from it, and it's not a case of oh, it will, you know, it will come back. It doesn't need humanity. The it doesn't need will. humanity. Doesn't, that's the yeah. planet.
1: The planet yeah. will be fine. That's it, what we that? say. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. we keep
0: saying, should we change the name of our podcast to "Can, Can Marketing Save the Humans"? But, but that's, <laughs> that, that's save the planet.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a less punchy title, but if the title's good, but it but it's it's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So, uh, Andy, we like to ask all of our guests, the same quick five questions to wrap up the show. It's been absolutely great uh, speaking to you today. But our first question to you is, can marketing save the planet?
1: It can. No, it definitely can. But business can, because of the innovation and, and rise in, in standards of living, it, it, it can bring to everyone around the world. And marketing is that link between the out, understanding the outside world and what business should be doing. So yeah, absolutely.
0: 100%. And what do you hope business look like in 10 years' time?
1: Definitely not sustainability as a separate department in businesses, and that those externalities of of carbon and fair wages in supply chains, or all those things, are factored in as 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 sort of business. uh, That there is no sort of cheap cheating fuel or labour in in your numbers.
0: Yeah, I mean sustainability uh, and green. The rise of green jobs is something that, again we've talked a lot about mm. because they're they're becoming almost the legal departments based on yeah. the uh, yeah. CSOs we speak to where yeah. they bottleneck everything. So it's for everybody, isn't it, to 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 educate themselves and know what their what their role is in this. Yes. Um, and finally, if you were to give one piece of advice to others around getting started with sustainable marketing, what would it be? Well,
1: well, don't greenwash. But equally, don't be paralyzed. And, yeah. and that, don't, don't let the fear of greenwash paralyze you. Understand where you are, where your brand or business is at. Be open about where you are on the journey and understand that the, the, the strengths that you can talk about and the, uh, the swords we talk about them and what shields you need to have in place and then um, and, and communicate around that. Fantastic.
0: Great. So, how can people find out more about the work that you're doing, Andy, and your books? Is there a place we can direct people to?
1: Uh, You can definitely direct people to Amazon or our website, and that would be great.
0: Fantastic. We'll make sure that all the relevant links are in the show notes. So that just leaves us to say a big thank you to Andy for joining us. And Gemma and I will see you on the next podcast very soon.